Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, let's look at our key notes scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 9 says, of course, it's true for the, for the time in which it was written. Quoting from the Old Testament, but thank God there's more to the story. <laughs> like, what, what was his name, Harvey? What was his name? Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. I has not seen, verse 9 says, nor has ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Revealed what? The things that, that he has prepared for us. God has prepared from some things for us. Glory to God. And if God prepares some things, you know they're awesome. Amen. They're overwhelming. The spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. God has prepared some deep things for us. And he intends for us to walk in them. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Glory to God. God has given us so much. And it's far more than we realize. And we're constantly needing the help of the Holy Spirit to bring to our attention and to reveal to us. And you know, the Spirit has to be real patient with us. Because He reveals things to us and we just don't get it. Amen. He has to reveal it to us again and again and again. That's why, that's why he calls us together like this. So that he can finally get it across to us. The things that he has prepared for us. And so it takes repeat application for people like me to get it. Because sometimes I'm slow. And then all of a sudden I'll go, oh yeah, that's what you've been saying for the last 10 years. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We read in Hebrews chapter 12. Look over there with me. Hebrews 12. We're going to, I believe, see some things tonight that's going to be a great help to us in running our race. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also... We all, what, what does we also refer to? Well, uh, the previous heroes of faith. They ran their race and they were restricted from knowing what belonged to them. But we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now go with me, if you would, tonight to Acts chapter 20. 
Acts chapter 20. Glory to God. A very, very important passage of Scripture. Paul, in the 20th chapter of Acts, called for the elders of the church of Ephesus, for the leadership and the pastors of the various uh, home groups and so forth, home churches in Ephesus. And he called them to this little town on the coast called Miletus. And uh, because he was traveling and he didn't want to take the time to take a, a side excursion into Ephesus, he, he was heading back to Jerusalem, and so he wanted to meet with these pastors. So he called them to meet him there. And uh, this was arranged ahead of time. This was a conference, a pastor, the first Bible conference, the, excuse me, the first pastor's conference in the New Testament. It's pretty important. And so he, he ministered to them some things, and we'll just pick up in, uh, let's look at verse, we'll start in verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Isn't that exciting? <laughs> but notice he said the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But he said, I still don't know all that's going to happen to me there because God's going to deliver me. I don't know how, but God is going to deliver me. Amen. God's going to be with me. But notice verse 24. This is the verse I wanted you to see. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. Now, in, in Hebrews, if I'm not, if, if I didn't just look at this before the service to double check, but if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, in Hebrews, where it says, let us run the race. The, he, the Greek word there is actually the word, word for a, a race, a foot race. And he's using the, the imagery of the, of the athletic contest of the day. Here, this is, if I'm, if I'm right, you can check up on it. If I'm not, well, just mark it down another one of those times, okay? And uh, it says that I may finish my race the, the Greek word there is really finish my course. In other words, the course that's out. It's not necessarily a foot race that he's using here, but in the sense of a, of a track, a course. And that's, I talked a lot about that this morning, and I got that from this verse. We are to finish our course. God has outlined and he has set a course for each one of our lives. And it's imperative that we finish that course. Because there are things along the way that are greater than just us and our spiritual well-being. Other people, other situations. There is kingdom business attached to our course. That we have to finish in order for God's complete plan to be unfolded and even even uh, affect and 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 have influence in somebody else's course it's so important it's so important that we not just be satisfied with being saved and going to heaven 
I'm sad to say, but probably 90 plus percent of the church world is just, I'm I'm talking about not just the professing church, but the actual people who are born again in this world. 90 plus percent of them probably just think, well, thank God I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm washed in the blood and I can lay down at at night and sleep. And I know in, in rest and peace because I know that I'm right with God. Well, that's wonderful. That's, that's the introduction. I, I, we all remember and we all can relate to that peace and that satisfaction that comes into our heart when that weight of sin is rolled away and we, we're, we're brought into relationship with God and we found our Father and we found our Savior and we found our home. That's wonderful. But there's more out there than just our spiritual well-being. God has, has then given a, set a course in front of us so that we can do some things for him and accomplish his plan. Amen. So he said, none of these things move me. Now, in Hebrews 12, 1, it said, let us lay aside every weight and the sins that so easily wrap themselves, I'm, I'm quoting here from the, from the older uh, uh, living Bible, not the living New Testament. It's slightly different. That was a, a, a different uh, translation. But the old living Bible, which was even more of a paraphrase, it said, let us, let us not, uh, and I'm paraphrasing the paraphrase now, <laughs> don't let us, don't let the, the, the things of this life and the sins uh, wrap themselves around our feet and trip us up. Well, sin will trip you up. It'll, it'll interfere with God's plan for your life. Like I said this morning, first of all, it, it, uh, it hinders your fellowship with God. So you can't receive from him the way you want to. It hinders your faith. You can't lay hold in, in robust faith with, with the things of God. Can't lay hold of those things when you've got sin in your life because condemnation keeps you out of his presence. Amen. But then not only does it enter our fellowship, it dulls our spirit so that we're not sensitive to his leading. And, and the leading of the Holy Spirit is critical in our lives. Not just leading you, you know, to, to find a good parking spot, you know, downtown or something. But, but leading you in life. And, and in the context we're talking uh, about tonight, in, in finding your way and navigating that course that God has set before, we have to have the leading of the Spirit. And we have that, but I should say we, ha- we have to have an understanding of his leading. He's leading all the time, but we have to be able to perceive right. Amen. But here he said, none of these things move me. What things? Well, what was he talking about? Persecution. Persecution can trip you up if you let it. Suffering. I I, I spoke a few weeks back uh, earlier this year about the sufferings that we experience. And all of us uh, have to go through certain things because God allows these things into our lives to develop us, to give us uh, 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 experience and, and and to make us be settled and stalwart in our world, in our walk with God. So he doesn't bring these things. God didn't, didn't uh, uh, design the tests and the trials, the imprisonments and chains that were awaiting 
Paul, but he allowed him to go through those things because it was part of, of, uh, we all have things that we face and God allows certain things to happen that he gives us victory through it. But in the process of, of believing God and standing strong and standing steadfast and speaking the word and not yielding to the plans of the enemy, it develops our faith. Your faith cannot be developed without tests and trials. I'm going to tell you that. The word alone will not sufficiently develop you. It takes tests and trials that it's not, it's not part of God's work, but they're here. You don't have to believe God for tests and trials. <laughs> they're coming, praise God. But whenever you use your faith against those things, it, that exercising of your faith causes your faith to grow strong, causes you as a, as a Christian to grow strong and, and brings maturity and brings a lot of things. So things that can move us, uh, hold your place here. We'll, we'll come back to it, but go to second Timothy. This is a passage that I love from second Timothy, uh, chapter four, verse seven. Well, verse, let's start in verse six. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. He's talking about when he would go to heaven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Glory to God. What a testimony. Paul had the understanding at this point that now in, in, it's funny in Acts chapter, go back to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, he said, uh, trying to find the verse I'm looking for. Oh yeah. In verse 25, it says, uh, and I, and indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. He thought that he was going to be, uh, lay his life down real soon. He didn't think he would see these people again. And whenever he, in verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more and they accompanied him to the ship. Now, Paul thought that, that these chains and imprisonment that were awaiting him in, in Jerusalem uh, would be probably result in the end of his life, but they didn't. He was, if you, if you know church history and, and, and New Testament history, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and, and well, arrested on the way to Jerusalem and uh, taken Jerusalem. But uh, he was held uh, in a house arrest there. But he was released from his first imprisonment and he went back out and began to travel again. And First Timothy and the things that, that, that happened there that he wrote about, those were written after his release. You know, the release that we read about in the 28th chapter of Acts, that the 28th chapter of Acts stops before the conclusion of Paul's life. He got out from that imprisonment and began to travel again. And first and second Timothy were written after that. But now he says, I know the time of my departure is at hand. And it wasn't long after that, 
that, uh, that he was martyred. You say, well, that doesn't sound like deliverance. <laughs> it does if, you, if there's a crown of righteousness laid up for you. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. All of the, all of the uh, apostles, the first uh, 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 generation of apostles, the apostles of the Lamb, and then Paul, every one of them, uh, except for John, all gave their lives for the gospel. Peter was, uh, tradition says that Peter was crucified and uh, he said, no, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord standing straight. He said, I, I insist that I'm crucified upside down. He said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Savior. And they crucified him upside down according to tradition. So all of these, uh, these, these men laid their lives down that we would have church tonight Amen. so that we could be here tonight. So that salvation would go to the nations and eventually make its way to, to, to our folks. Well, praise God. He said, uh, I have, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let us all live in such a way that one day we'll be able to say that. That we'll not just plod along and, and, and somewhat accomplish God's will. Let us run our course. In Acts chapter 1, he says, that I may finish my course. And the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. I want to hear the Lord say, well done. I don't want him to say, well, you're done. <laughs> I want to say, well done. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, over in, in uh, and I mentioned this this morning, so I'll, I'll mention this again before we go, we go any, any further. The, uh, Jesus talked about not being, not being weighted down. Lest you be weighted down with cares of this life and, and, and uh, uh, pursuits of, of sinful pleasures and the cares of this life and the cares of this age and uh, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. There's a, there are a lot of things in this life that compete for our affection. And we have to keep our heart pure and our, and our walk straight and keep determined that we're going to obey God. And fulfill his plan. Uh, I mentioned this. I have these in, in my notes. And I'll just make mention of wrong motives. Selfish ambitions. Natural ambitions that aren't founded in, in the will of God. Pride. Some people are so full of pride. That God can't get through to them. Because they just want their way above everything else. Spiritual slothfulness. Laziness. Fear of doing the will of God. All of these things can trip us up. And this morning we, we finished with this concept. Let us run our race. Hebrews 12 once said with patience. With patience. And I talked about the fact that uh, there is a time of preparation. For different stages of our walk with God. And we have to take time to prepare. Time spent in preparation is never wasted time. It's good time. Amen. And if we're not, if we're not hungry, if we're not seeking God during the times of preparation, we won't be prepared. And when the next place of promotion or the next 
uh, place of advancement in our walk for God, or you could say the next stage or the next phase of our, of our calling and of our walk, when it's time to enter into to the next phase, we won't be ready if we're not prepared. And we won't be able to walk in, in it. And, and it can delay things, and, it, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't allow that to happen. But now when we're thinking about that, also think about the fact that you can, you can be impatient and push ahead of God. And get out ahead of him. I've done that in my life. And uh, all it does is complicate things. I've had to stop and, and, and pull back and say, okay, Lord, I sense. I sense what you're wanting to do, but it's not time right now. I have to, I, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this next place. Even though I have a sense of, of, of something that he wants me to do. And I'll talk to you about that more later, but... He said that we, Paul said here in in Acts 20, that I might finish my course with joy. Glory to God. In the midst of of waiting on him and and seeking him and being disciplined and realizing there are things ahead of you that you're not quite ready for. Other things that you sense that he's wanting you to do and it is time and you just don't want to do it. All of those things, if you navigate life with independence, on the spirit and in obedience to the spirit, there is a joy. The Christian life is, is, should not be for anybody. It should not be burdensome. Amen. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I was, I was, I was heavy laden when I came to the Lord and he gave me rest. He said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, glory to God. God, if we'll stay in the spirit, if we'll do what, we're, what I'm talking about, uh, staying hungry, staying open, staying consecrated, there, there may be some tests and trials along the way. Well, I, that's not right to say. There will be some tests and trials along the way. But in the midst of them, there, there is rest. When you know that God's word, when you know you're in God's plan and you're in his perfect will, you know what? Devil, just bring it on. I'm just going to keep on singing the praises of God, enjoying my victory, enjoying the power of God in my life. Amen. Paul talked about submitting uh, to to uh, 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 the tests and trials in in with the power of God in the power of God in no matter what we're going through we can have the power of God working in our life, Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So I, I got into the edge of this, and this is really what I want to talk to you tonight. And finish up. Only through prayer will you understand God's full plan for your life. Only through prayer. Will you understand God's full plan for your life? And when I say in prayer, I'm talking uh, more so about praying in the spirit than I am any other thing. Brother Steve tonight in, in exhorting us with worship, he said, you know, our, our natural uh, uh, understanding and our limitations uh, fail us. We can't, we can't give expression with our, with our natural language uh, the way we need to. And, and so 
we, we speak by the Spirit. He's talking about worship. We worship in the Spirit so that we can let the Holy Spirit give us utterance so we can express what's on our heart. Well, when it comes to the will of God, it's the same way. In prayer, we have to depend on praying in the Spirit because you don't, you and neither you nor I know enough to pray accurately. I'm going to say that again because some of you need to hear that. Neither you nor I know enough to pray adequately. We don't, we don't know enough to ask what we need to ask. We don't know enough to, to desire the things that we, because we don't know. We don't have enough understanding of the things that are in front of us. Now, the Spirit is constantly searching, but the reason he's constantly searching, he doesn't do it just one time and just download everything in the will of God. He does it, he's continually searching and bringing these things up only as we're able to receive them. And, And a lot of that's determined by how hungry we are. So prayer in the Spirit is the only way we'll understand God's full plan for our life. And that's gradual. You're not going to go, you're not going to go into a season of prayer and really, you know, set aside time and fast and pray for a few days or a few weeks, a few months and just understand everything about the plan of God and everything in your life. You've got it now. I know what to do. That's not going to happen. You're going to, you will get revelation that'll help you be very valuable, but all along the way, you're going to need more information. And so it's a life of consecration. Amen. A life of consecration. So only through prayer will you understand God's full plan for your life. And then, secondly, only through prayer in the Spirit will you lay hold of God's perfect will for your life. It's one thing to have a sense of God's leading and of His plan. It's another thing to lay hold of it. Amen. Turn with me to Colossians, the First chapter. We're familiar a lot of times. We talk a lot about the Ephesians prayers. You know, there's, there's a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 and a prayer in Ephesians chapter 2. And um, Brother Hagan talked about, you know, back in, the, in 1948, 49, I think it was, whenever it was, you know, he spent that winter praying those Ephesian prayers. And, uh, and uh, for wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. But you know, they're, those, they're, those prayers are valuable and we prayed them for ourselves because they were given by the Spirit. Paul prayed those things and they're recorded in the Bible. And so if it applied to, to, the, to the, what he prayed for applied to the Ephesians, it applies to the High Springians. <laughs> okay, the Floridians. And, uh, but there were other prayers. There's one in the first chapter of Philippians. There's one in the first chapter of Colossians. So in the first chapter of Colossians, this is one that I, that I pray often for myself. He said in verse 9, and, and Paul prayed this for the church. <clears throat> he wasn't praying it for himself. He was praying it for the church at Colossae. Well, if it, if it was good for them, it's good for us. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, of their love in the Spirit, in the previous verse, we do not cease to pray for you. Well, what he prayed for them, we can pray for ourselves. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's what we need. We need to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just to have a taste of it and have a glimpse of it. We need to be filled with it. But I can tell you this, it's progressive. 
It's ongoing progressive revelation. And if, we, and if we're ever going to, to know the, the fullness of his will, to be filled with the knowledge of will, we're going to have to keep praying this. This is not a one-time praying, Lord, do it now and, and thank you for it. No, we're, you're going to go back and pray this over and over again. He said that you may walk worthy, uh, that you may be filled, verse 9, with the knowledge of his will. Notice, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Some people have knowledge of his will, but they don't have much wisdom. And so oftentimes they go out and try to do something because they have a sense of God's will for their life. And they try to go out and accomplish it on their own, make it come to pass, start arranging things and, and manipulating circumstances and people and loved ones and everybody they know to try to bring about. And that's not wisdom. Now, we need to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? For what reason? That we may walk worthy of him. Now, notice it doesn't say that we may be worthy. We're not praying that we'll know his will so that we can be worthy because Jesus made us worthy in the new birth. He made us worthy by his blood, by his sacrifice. When we were born again, he established our worthiness. So it's not, it's not talking about being worthy. It's talking about walking worthy. Those are two different things. That my conduct, that my life, that, that the way I live will be worthy of the blessing, of the calling, and the, and the mercy and grace of God. We can live in such a way. Greg said it this, Pastor Greg said it this way one time. He said, and I'll, I'll quote exactly what he said, but uh, something to the effect that, that uh, we can't, Everything we have is by grace. We can't do anything to earn God's favor, but we can have the proper response. We can respond to, to, to God's grace in the right way. And that's what this is talking, talking about, that we may walk, that our conduct will be worthy of the grace of God and the blessing of God on our life. That we may walk worthy of him, fully pleasing him. Have you prayed this for yourself lately? Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work. You might, you could probably add right in here and it probably is, you know, you understand you're just adding this thought. But every good work he has for you. <laughs> Not every good work he has for somebody else. But whatever, what, what, is, what is every good work that he has ordained for you to fulfill? That you may be fruitful in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might. In the, in the original Greek, that says empowered with all power. In both of those words, uh, power is dunamis and, and, and empowered is a, is a slight, is, is, is the verb and, and dunamis is the noun. And it says empowered with all power. Glory to God. For all patience and long suffering with joy. Notice it brings into, into play here three things that we've been talking about. Patience, long suffering, and joy. Can, can all three of those things work together? Yeah, at the same time. You can be patient, you can be disciplined, and, and you can be going through tests and trials and still be in joy. Still be joyful. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Let us live that way. Amen. So we need to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, here he prayed for them. 
that they would be filled with the knowledge of, our, uh, of his will. Well, we can pray for ourselves. If we don't pray for ourselves, you know, Paul passed on. He's not praying for us now. He's cheering for us, but he's not praying for us. Granny passed away. She's not praying for you anymore. Your mama may have passed away. She's not praying for you anymore. Grow up. Start praying for yourself. Amen. So prayer is how we'll lay hold of this. Now, I have a prayer partner in the Bible. Did you know that? I found a prayer partner in the Bible. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. I found a prayer partner. He's a good one too. Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Notice, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That you may stand perfect and complete. In all the will of God. You know, we need one another. We need to pray for ourselves, but we need to pray for one another. They had a good friend named Epaphras. I've taken him as my prayer partner too. This man, Epaphras, gave himself to prayer on behalf of the people of Colossae. And he came from them. He was one of them. And he became an associate of Paul's. And Paul said, this man Epaphras says he uh, is always, he greets you, because he was with Paul when this was written. He greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. You know, we need to pray for one another. Amen. I know as a, as a pastor, I have to have the prayers of other people. I'm not saying I can't, I can't make it on my own, but I know that God has ordained that people pray. Some people, when they pray for their pastor, they pray, oh, Lord, give the pastor a good word for me tonight. Oh, Father, that the pastor will minister good, that he'll be anointed and, and we'll have a good service and, and we'll be blessed. That's not the only way to pay, pray for your pastor. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Every successful minister has people who pray for him or her. And it says that Epaphras prayed for these people, laboring fervently for them in prayer. You know, prayer, spirit-empowered prayer is not always easy. It's not just light and fun all the time. You know, there's there's a laboring in prayer. If you're, going to, if you're going to get into the depths of prayer, there's going to be some labor involved. Because the flesh will fight. Fights all of us. Because there's just so many other things that, that, that our flesh wants to do other than pray. Amen. It's a labor sometimes. Always, always laboring fervently for you in prayer. That you may stand perfect and complete. In all the will of God. Think about it. That's a mouthful. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Well, praise the Lord. We can pray that for ourselves. I pray it. Like I said, this is my prayer partner. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. There, he said that, that you need to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 
You know, you can stand, you can walk in some of the will of God. You can walk in and experience and live in some of the will of God. And there will be blessing attached to that. But you can, while you're walking in some of the will of God, you cannot be walking in other aspects of the will of God, right at the same time. And, and, and in the areas of his will that you're not walking in, it will diminish your life. It will cause you to not be ready. It'll cause you to not be able to be used. It'll cause him to not be, he'll have to look, overlook you when the time is right for you. So, well, sorry, you know, you weren't ready because you're only walking in some of his will. We want to walk in all the will of God. Over in, in Romans chapter uh, uh, 12, go over there with me. Romans chapter 12, I think it's Romans chapter 12. We'll see when we get there, won't we? Romans chapter 12. Yeah, verse number 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Now that word prove in the original Greek, it means to, to, to find and set your approval upon. That's what the word prove means. It means to find and set your approval upon. So sometimes it's just translated approve. But here it's translated proof. That you may find and set your approval upon. Another, another way to say it, and I have this marked in my Bible, discern. That you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Did you know there are three different levels of the will of God? Those aren't all talking about the same thing. There are three levels of the will of God identified. The good will of God, the acceptable will of God, which, which I uh, paraphrase as his permissive will, and then the perfect will of God. So, well, how can that be? I mean, you're either in his will or not. No, that's not, that's, it's, it's more complex than that. You know, a person gets saved and he starts going to church. Well, that's good. Better than staying home most of the time. I mean, Paul did say to the Corinthians, you're, better, you're worse off for coming to church. When you come together, you're actually worse off than if you'd stayed home. But that aside, ordinarily, ordinarily, even uh, just coming to church and being a part of a church is the will of God. But is it the right church? Well, it would be good, but it's not really acceptable because you're out of the will of God. You're in the will of God that you're going to church. You're not at, you're not at the bar or you're not watching television, not watching the cartoons on Sunday morning. You're in church, so that's good, but, but it, it's not as good as it could be. You know, people, people need to, to, uh, people need to be serious about everything in their Christian walk. Amen. People, people leave church over the silliest things. Get out of the will of God. I told you about this once before. There was a man in our church a few years ago, and he, he agreed with me, I guess, on everything. He never complained about anything. He said amen all the time. And I preached on the new birth. I preached on sanctification. I preached on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I preached on healing and the power of God and prosperity and the joy of the Lord. All of, he, he, was, he was fine with all of that. Didn't have any complaints. But when I preached on end times and I preached on the rapture, 
I, I preached what I believe that the church will be called away just before the beginning of the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. Well, that's called the pre-trib position. Well, he was a mid-trib guy. He believed in the mid-trib, the mid-tribulation rapture of the church. That's one of the things out there that people believe. Well, that's what he believed. Well, he, he couldn't stand it that I, as the pastor, was teaching my church <laughs> on uh, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. So he wrote me a letter, bless his heart. I was so grateful. Just made my day. He wrote me not a short letter, a multi-page letter, a dissertation, if you would, on why I was wrong. And uh, he started it out by saying this. Now, pastor, you have to understand, I've studied this at depth. Right away inferring that I hadn't. <laughs> I've stu- but pastor, I've studied this out. I've studied in depth. And what you're teaching is not correct. And so he straightened me out. And uh, he said he wanted to talk about it. So we talked about it. And I said, well, you know, I, I appreciate your opinion, but I don't agree with you. He left the church. Now, he, he, he agreed on the new birth. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. He spoke in tongues. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. Came up for healing. He liked that. Prosperity believed in that. He's a very prosperous man, professional man. <laughs> I'll leave that out. Angel had a comment, but anyway, uh, he believed. He didn't believe in everything, okay? But he believed. He, <laughs> I didn't know that. He didn't believe in tithing. Evidently, I just found that out. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe there was more to this story than I know, okay? <laughs> I thought it was one thing, it was two things, okay? But it, the tithing never had bothered him. He just didn't participate in it, I guess. Well, he could have, he could have, done, he could have had the same opinion over, over the tribulation thing. He could have just not participated. When the rest of us called away, he could just stay for three years. <laughs> and go in the middle of the tribulation. But it was such a rub. It just rubbed him and rubbed him and rubbed him until he had to leave the church over. And I'm thinking, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Why would you leave the church when you agree with all of this and you're being blessed and your home life and your family's being blessed and and God's working? But no, I I didn't agree with the pastor, so I got to leave. Somebody said, well, pastor, why do you have to have have it your way? Because I'm the pastor. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if for every time somebody came up with, to me and said, well, you know, I've got my skivvies all twisted on this one particular doctrine that you have, you know? And I say, okay, well, I'll change, you know. I, I'll teach it your way then. And then somebody else come, and then I, I mean, I'd be all twisted up. Wouldn't that be crazy? I have to teach it the way, I mean, I don't know everything, but thank God, some of what I know is working. But anyway, because the pastor wouldn't change his theology over one area that, to be honest with you, does it matter? It matters that you're, that you have, that you believe the Bible right and that we believe the right things and we're expecting the right things. But in the end of the day, if I'm wrong 
and, and we're only, and we're raptured in the middle of the tribulation, we'll still have victory. We'll still live in victory all during the first three and a half years. And the worst thing that happened with it to him is he'd be raptured before he was ready. People just, people are crazy. They're just absolutely crazy. They're out of their minds. There's the good. What I was talking about was there's the good. There's the permissive will of God. Sometimes God will allow you to stay in, in a, in what you can be categorized as his permissive, the acceptable will of God. He will let you persist in part of the will of God. That's not his perfect will. But you won't have the blessing. Somebody said, I could hear you. Well, that sounds okay for me. I can deal with that. I can accept it. If he'll accept it, I'll accept it. No, the perfect will of God is better. And when it comes to ministry, I know this, when it comes to ministry, ministers have to be in the perfect will of God or, or it can cause you great trouble. And it's true even in, in, in the ordinary believer's life. It's best to be in his perfect will. Amen. Glory to God. Now go with me to probably the passage of scripture. This is in Philippians that I, that I pray most about. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have, in verse 12 says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I'm aware, and you should be too, that Christ Jesus has laid hold of you for a purpose. That's it. Now, salvation, forgiveness of your sins, being filled, all of that's part of it, but that's not all of it. There are things that the Lord Jesus has laid hold of you for, purposes, for that he wants to accomplish in your life. He's laid hold of it. And Paul, the, the esteemed apostle that wrote uh, so much of the New Testament, said, I haven't even laid hold of it all. Not that I have already attained. Now there he's talking about the resurrection from the previous verse, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained the resurrection. But then he says, or am already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have. That word apprehended literally is laid hold of it. I don't know why they didn't just write it that way. But it literally means laid hold of it. Brethren, I do not count myself to have laid hold of it. Well, if the apostle Paul admitted that there were some things that he hadn't fully laid hold of, then... Uh, that tells me that it's, a, that it's a process in life that we have to keep reaching for. If, he, if anybody could have laid hold of it at this time, it would have been the Apostle Paul. And he said, I haven't fully laid hold of it. He laid hold of part of it. I haven't fully laid hold of it. Well, what do you do? Just say, well, you know, that's it. I, I've laid hold of all I can. No. He said, but this one thing I do. Notice what I'm about to say sounds like two things, but it's one thing. He lists two things, but he calls them one thing because they're, they're, they go together. One, forgetting those things which are behind and two, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You can't reach forward to the things which are ahead until you lay, turn loose of the things which are behind you. 
You have to turn loose of, of some things before you can lay hold of some things. So he counts that as one thing. Forgetting the, hey, what can I do? I, I, he said, I do not count myself to have laid hold of it fully. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And that word reaching literally means to strain or to stretch. Like, you know, if you ever, you ever uh, reach for something that you could barely reach, something has fallen maybe behind a chair or something, and, and you're reaching over the chair and you, you hyperextend your shoulders and you're reaching and it's, you can almost get your hand on it. You're straining and stretching. That was, that's the language he used. Forgetting those things which are behind and straining every nerve, reaching with everything I have to those things that are ahead. Do you know there's some things ahead for us? And they must be good. But Paul thought they were of the things were ahead were awfully good because he was straining real hard for them. He was, he was stretching everything he had. This one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, turn loose of that and straining everything I have, just reaching with everything I have to those things which are before. And when I read that, it always takes me back. It always takes me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where we were reading the things which he has prepared for us, for those who love him. I'll, in my Bible where it says those, I think it says the things he has prepared for, for those who love him. I, I just drew through that and I said me. The things he has prepared for me. And that's what Paul was straining for. The things that God had prepared. There are things God has prepared for you. And me. And if we leave this life and we haven't laid hold of those things, we're going to be sorry. We're going to be sorry when we stand before him and we see the magnitude and the glory and the beauty and the power and the blessedness of things he had prepared for us, that, but we just weren't spiritually awake enough. We weren't hungry enough. We weren't disciplined enough. We just didn't reach enough. We're going to be sad some people are just going to be happy to be in heaven. But you know, there are rewards in heaven. Some people are going to have more rewards than others. You remember Joe Morris when he was here? He said, I, when I get to heaven, I don't, I don't want to be the guy with the weed turner, you know, just going around. Oh, there's brother, there's brother Doug over there. and He's the ruler of 10, 10 cities. And there's, and there's this other brother. He just got the weed trimmer. He's just going around. <laughs> I want some rewards in heaven. Well, praise the Lord. It's true. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, can you stay with me a few more minutes? We don't have school tomorrow. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Kids are rejoicing. I said I was going to, I told, uh, what's your name over there? Steve. <laughs> I told Steve I was going to work him into my message. I'm about to, you don't want to miss that. Go with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter, have you, can, will you give me five minutes? How many of you give me five minutes? You know what I'm doing. A five, 10, 15, 20, 20. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now, this idea in verse 9, this, this saying of Jesus, instruction here, about asking, seeking, and knocking. You will also find in Matthew chapter 7. But in Matthew chapter 7, we're not given the, the background 
to him saying this. When he said this, he said it based on something he'd already said. So let's pick up in verse 9. It says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. To him it will be opened. But the interesting thing about this, these words, ask, seeking, and knocking, in the Greek, they're in the continual present tense. We don't have that tense in English. We have past tense and present tense and future tense, and maybe a other things that make me tense in grammar. But uh, in the Greek, there, there, there is something called the continual present tense. In other words, it's a present tense action that continues on. It doesn't stop. So literally, what this is saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Well, that doesn't sound like faith. He's not talking about the prayer of faith here. So he's not talking about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is something is a prayer that you pray for something that is a covenant right that Jesus has already provided. He has already provided our prosperity. He has already provided our healing. He has already provided certain blessings. They belong to us. And you can ask. And when you do, Jesus said, believe you receive it. And what do you do when you believe you receive it? You give him thanks for it. You have it by faith. And you shall have it in manifestation. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about some asking that you have to ask and keep on asking. So he couldn't be talking about the prayer of faith. Ask and keep on asking, it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and, and keep on knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. What if you ask once or twice and don't keep on asking? You won't receive. Not what he's talking about here. Well, how, how can you explain that? If you go back to verse number five, this explains it. Now, like I said, we usually read this as part of the Beatitudes in, 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 uh, Mark's, I mean, in Matthew's gospel. And it's not explained there like it's, like it's explained here. In verse number five, he says, which of you shall have a friend? Anybody have a friend? Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For another friend, I added the word another, for another friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Verse seven says, he, the first friend that, that, that you went to, will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. Now that word shut there meant locked. It was, it was locked and barred to prevent people from, from getting in. He said, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and locked. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give to you. Really, he wasn't saying I cannot. He was saying I will not. <laughs> the door is barred. They didn't have, you know, quick set locks that were real convenient. There was a little bit of effort that was involved in locking the, the door to keep uh, intruders from coming in. He was saying, the door is, is bar barricaded and we're all in bed and you do know it's midnight. I'm not getting up. 
But evidently, the man, this would be you in this case, evidently, you don't take no for an answer. You stay at the door. You, you repeat your, your, your request. Said, I've got a friend that's been traveling down 441 and he stopped at my house. And I don't have anything to set before him. You, I need you to get up and give me some food so I can give to my friend. We know the person kept uh, persisting because it says, I say to you, Jesus said, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. I was thinking about Steve Green. Now, he's my neighbor. He's a friend of mine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, if, if an old buddy of mine started saying an army buddy, but I wasn't in the army. An old friend of mine comes to town and it's midnight. And he, and he, and he knocks on my door and he said, listen, we, you know, we're on our way to Disney World. And we've got the family and we've run out of gas and we're hungry and we don't have anything. And I looked you up on online and here I am at your house. Can you bet us down for the night? Okay. I guess. Okay. <laughs> but then I realized Angela gets up. She says, I haven't been to the store. I was going tomorrow. We don't have anything. We have nothing to give them. You have to understand in, in, the, in the Middle East in that time, uh, uh, hospitality was a big thing. Somebody didn't come to your house and you not feed them. You'd give them, you, you'd take f- food from yourself and give it to somebody. He didn't have anything. It was a big faux pas. I mean, just, that, that's terrible. Faux pas, whatever you say. Whatever. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. Her input is valuable. So I go down to Brother Steve. He's just a few doors down from me. And it's midnight. And I start knocking on his door. First thing I would hear, we talked about this the other, I would hear this chink, chink. <laughs> as he racks that shotgun. I'm sure that's the first thing I would hear. Who's out there? This pastor. Oh, Pastor? He opens the door and said, what in the world are you doing? Well, I've got a friend of mine who has stopped at my house and I need to feed him and I don't have any food. I can just hear, I can just hear brother see, you can hear him say, do what? (laughs) Do what? Do what? He'd probably say, are you kidding me? I said, no, I'm serious. Now, probably, probably because I'm the pastor, I'm his friend, but I'm also pastor. He'd probably say, well, come on in. You know, he probably wouldn't just say, no, I'm not going to do it. Not because I'm his friend, but because I'm his pastor. <laughs> so he'd, I'd come in and he'd start, you know, what do you need? He said, who, who, who's his friend? I said, well, there are 13 of them. <laughs> Do what? I can see. I can. I can see Michelle. She finally comes staggering out of the bedroom. She's got a robe on. She's going. What in the world's going on? And he's whispering behind it. You'll never believe this. She tells her. She. She said, "Do what?" They would give me what I need because I'm the pastor. 
but really not because I'm her friend. Because after I leave, I can only imagine the conversation. Michelle, we need to pray for pastor. I think he's lost his mind. I think he's lost his his ever-living mind. He's gone crazy. You know, it's rude. It would be rude of me to knock on, regardless of the fact that my crazy friend stopped at my house, I ought to have more sense than he did. It would be rude of me to go to Steve. And even more rude for me to persist after, Lord forbid, if he said no. And I'd just say, yeah, but you got to help me. It's, it's, it's a rude persistence. You see what I'm saying? Now, we know that God isn't in the same, doesn't same, have the same attitude as Brother Steve. God already knows I'm crazy. No, God wants to give to us. But the point is, there sometimes we have to be that persistent. In prayer, in things that we need to lay hold of, they're his will for our life, but they're not covenantly assured. Covenant assures me healing, but my covenant doesn't assure me of my place and my assignment. I'm going to get there if I follow the will of God, if I'm persistent. And sometimes there has to be this continual asking. You keep on asking. To ask indicates that you just want something. You're asking a request. The word seek, I looked this up, and and, uh, actually it's in uh, the olive tree. How many of you have olive tree on your tablet? Olive tree Bible software? The olive tree enhanced Strong's Dictionary says, what did I write this down? Yeah. Seek means to seek something in order to find out. It means to inquire into. There are some things that God has for us that you don't fully understand. And in order to lay hold of it, you have to understand more. You're seeking to find out. You're not necessarily seeking for God to give you something. You're seeking for more understanding, seeking for more revelation. You're, you're, you're inquiring into something. And that's a, that's a higher level than just asking. Now you're seeking for explanation. You're seeking for understanding. You're inquiring into something. You have to keep on doing that. If you're going to walk in the will of God, you do. And then knocking. Knocking is kind of a violent act. Knocking is the most aggressive. Bang, bang, bang on that door. The door's locked. We're in bed. Go away. Bang, bang, bang. Now, God's not saying go away. But I'm saying circumstances and life says, no, you can't have this. You keep on knocking. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the things that, that aren't covenant rights, but things that, that, that we, we are determined to have. Sometimes it takes that sort of rude persistence. And so it says... I say to you, he will, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence. That word persistence means sh- shamelessness and imprudence. Shamelessness. 
Imprudence, in other words, absurd asking. I, I said it like this, rude asking. Just, just being slight, shameless about it. Unashamed earnestness. And I'll close with this, I promise. I know I've been an hour already, a little over an hour, but stay with me, just one more passage. You'll, you'll, this won't take long. Go with me to Second Kings. I mentioned this on a Wednesday night. Got ahead of myself here a few Wednesday nights back. Second Kings, go to chapter 2. You know the story, I hope, if you know the Bible. Elisha knew that he was about to be called up into heaven. And so he told his servant, Elisha, who was uh, a prophet in training. And he was, he was Elijah's servant. He served Elijah and, and ministered to him. And God was training him and raising him up. So Elijah knew he was going to be called up into heaven. So he told Elijah, Elisha, he said, uh, in verse 1 it says, And came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by whirlwind, that Elijah went up with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he said, nothing doing. I'm staying with you. Now, Elisha, Elijah didn't really want him to stay back because he said, I, I ask you to please stay. He was, he was, he was giving him an opportunity. God, God wants to see what you're, what you're cut out of. What kind of cloth you're cut out of. So Elijah said, I, I, I stay here, please. The Lord has sent me on to Bethel. Elisha said, no. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So these other prophets, they had some insights. And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. In other words, hush. Shut up. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to meet Elisha and said to him, do you know that, you're, that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me onto the Jordan. But he, Elisha, said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had passed over, crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? He knew that, that Elisha was after something. And if Elisha hadn't persisted, he would have never gotten it. He said, what may I do for you before I'm taken away? And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He wasn't talking about a double portion of the Holy Ghost. There's no such thing. He's talking about a double portion of the, of the anointing. Because we all receive the Holy Spirit in, ba- in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We receive that. And it's the full measure. But anointings vary. And, and, and Elisha, Elijah was anointed as a prophet of God. 
And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit or your anointing be upon me. And you ought to, you ought to mark verse 10. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be so for you. But if not, it will not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. When Elisha saw it, he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw me no more, saw him no more. So he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of of the Jordan. Now, the Jordan had returned to its previous uh, condition. The waters had returned. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when it also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, and they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. But verse number 10 is very important. He said, you have asked a hard thing. I have an old Cambridge Bible that I, one of my first Bibles I bought, I guess, when I graduated from from Bible school. You remember when I bought that Cambridge wide margin edition? I think it was in like the first year or two after I got out of Rama. I had this uh, wide margin version of the, of the King James and it was a Cambridge edition. And there was a note there where it said, you have asked a hard thing. And in my Cambridge edition, it had a note and it said in the Hebrew, this says thou hast done hard in asking. It wasn't that he had asked a hard thing. He asked hardly. Does that make sense to you? The original Hebrew says, thou hast done hard in asking. Or you could say, you've been hard in asking. That's that shameless, rude persistence. You've been hard in asking. And there are things that in your life, if you're going to lay hold of, you're going to have to be hard in asking. You're going to have to go after it over and over and over and over again and not take no for an answer. But the real riches, the real riches lie at the end of that kind of persistence. And it's not something that just takes a few minutes or a few days or a few weeks or a few months. Because the deeper things of God belong to the hungry. They really do. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.